Hello and welcome to the Upstate Carolina Linux User Group Podcast. Thank you, Lynn, for that introduction. <laughs> welcome to the Upstate Carolina Linux Users Group in South Carolina. Here we are at Medion. Uh, my name is Jace. I will be doing the uh, first presentation on uh, shell scripting for newbies. This is our last shell scripting for newbies. <coughs> Yay! Okay. Um, so uh, I'll just go ahead and get started. Um, I've got a handout, which was your assignment to pass everybody a handout if they want it, um, that has all the scripts for tonight. Um, so last month, if you remember, if you were here or have heard it on the podcast or whatever, um, I discussed uh, the for looping um, construct in, in uh, shell script, uh, bash specifically. Um, that is uh, what's called a compound compound statement within bash. It's one of many. Uh, you've got for, you've got if, which I discovered, uh, which I had discussed several months ago. Tonight I'm going to discuss while. Uh, the while construct, the case construct, and the select construct. I'm calling them constructs. I don't know if they're whatever. They're compound statements. The statements. So tonight we're going to do while. I'm going to print out. I did a simple um, spinner um, call, and I called the program while spinner. So you see here at the very beginning, you've got the shebang min bash indicating that bash can uh, interpret the program. And then I've got uh, the next four lines is spinner, uh, square bracket 0, 1, 2, and 3. And I'm assigning them a different uh, character. Um, in bash, um, you have arrays. So you can have a um, you can have a variable that not only just holds a value, it can also have an array of variables. And they have their own subscripts, the subscripts being in square brackets. So you see right here I've got the first. Uh, spinner 0 to the dash, uh, spinner 1 to the forward slash, spinner 2 set to a vertical line, and spinner 3 set to a backslash. Now I had to quote both the vertical line and the backslash. Um, that, does, does anyone need to discuss why that is? It's because they're special characters. That's right. Very good. <laughs> the, the vertical line is, as you know, uh, you pipe the standard out of the left side to the standard in of the right side. So we had to quote it. And the backslash is a special character that escapes characters. It's a, it's a quoting of the next character. And so I'm going to quote it. I'm going to quote the backslash. I'm going to backslash the backslash. I'm going to mean just the backslash character. I could have also used single quotes, double quotes, something like that. But I'm just giving you the, the multiple ways. And I'll probably good form would have said to do that with these other two, but this works. So. Um, and then I've got just this variable called n, setting it to zero. Now I've got uh, uh, an echo dash n of a space. Yes, sir? What's the dash n do on that card? The dash n gives no new line. So instead of doing, if I were to do it without the dash n, echo would just put a space and then a new line character, character term. So um, let me just run this little program right quick. And one on a spinner. You see here we got a little spinner. You've probably seen this in downloading and that sort of thing. It's just 
an animated little spinner. And it's, all it is is it's just the uh, minus sign, the forward slash, the vertical line, or pipe character, and backslash. And it's just going through them all. So here is while. The way while works is, uh, it, like I said, it's a compound statement. You have while, if I can spell it right, while, some commands, uh, a do, some more commands, done. And that is what, uh, how you, the while construct. Now, because this is on a, a different line, you have to have, if you're going to uh, make, uh, so there's there's the separator between the while commands and the do. So if you want to put it all on one line, you need to use a semicolon do. And um, well, anyway, that's that's not important. So anyway, so what uh, what it does is it tests this, or it finds out what the return value of this part is. And I'll say while command. So I'll just uh, put in the word command here. So let's say. Command is some program that I've written, or it's a standard program. So whatever the, the return value, the exit code of command is, as long as this is true, then it will do the block, the do done block. It will do everything in here as long as command is true. Now, what, again, going back to what we've discussed in the past, um, the return value of command, in order for it to be true, it means that the return value is zero meaning no error. If there was an error, usually by convention, commands return you know, 127 or 15 or 16, and they mean their own thing. So, does that make sense to everybody? Newbies? Newbies at any time, those of you that are brand new have not been here, um, this is a newbie session, so stop me at any time and we can talk about anything. All right? Just because I've discussed it in the last couple months doesn't mean you know about it or you've even heard the podcast. I'm famous. So that can be any program, any command in your pasting. Sir? You're saying that can be any command in your pasting, right? Because yeah. that is going to look through your path and find the command. It can be in the path. It, it can be in the path of the program. If you set a path to just that program, because your your shell script is going to be run in its own environment. It's going to be forked off, run over here, and then that sort of thing. You could also put a full path of command. You know, if you want to do something. Um, probably more often than not, you will use the, the test program, which I've discussed in the past. What test does is it, it looks at, you know, some sort of equality or, you know, if the file exists or that sort of thing. Uh, if you do a man page on test, you can see what all it does. Um, so if you're going to use test, it would either be, instead of command, you'd have, um, like, test and then, you know, five is equal to you know, x or something like that. So as long as so, so as long as x is is equal to five in quotes, then to the test will return or have an exit code of zero, which is true. So that's true. Uh, that also uh, you know in test in its other form, and probably what you'll more likely see is either the square brackets, uh, which probably be the test in either bin or user bin, or the double square brackets, which is the built-in test, which would be faster. But um, And the two tests have slightly different syntaxes. Um, but more often than not, you'll see a wild test or something. 
So when I say test, I mean square bracket, double square bracket, or the test program. So lumping all those together. But it doesn't have to be the test program. It can be any program. It can be any combination of programs. You can do a double ampersand to, to and and short circuit and all that sort of thing. Um, so is that clear, everybody? Make sense? All right, so I got my spinner. I'm going to control C, and that's so. Now let me show you what I've done. Now. Uh, I've got the spinner running, so you, got, you see what arrays are now. I'm putting a space, um, and I'll explain why later. Now I explain what while this true, as you remember from two months ago, is that the true program has a return value of zero, which just is true. The false program returns, uh, it's either one or negative one, I think it's one, which is correctly exiting false, right? It's kind of confusing, but it, the false program purposefully doesn't work right, right? Okay, because <laughs> uh, that's what you're expecting, false to be false. Okay, so now you see in here we, in, in my uh, do done loop, I've got setting in, equal to dollar sign square bracket n plus one square bracket. The dollar sign square brackets is mathematical stuff uh, within the bash shell. So I'm just setting n to n plus one. And I'm just incrementing n. Then I'm setting n equals dollar sign paren paren n percent or paren paren. The uh, dollar sign paren paren n paren paren is the same as the dollar sign brackets. Um, I, I don't know why, there's there's two forms of it. Probably one was inherited from the born side, the other was inherited from the corn or seashell side. Or something. I don't really know. But um, these two are both mathematical stuff. Um, this increments it by one. This does the modulus of four. So whenever I get a value of four, I'm going to increment it. I'm sorry, whenever, I, whenever n goes into the loop, it starts out at zero. And then I automatically increment it one, so n is now one. Then it does one modulus four, which is one, and n is now one. Then the next statement is echo dash en, and the dash en, um, as, as we were talking about earlier, the n tells it not to put a carriage return, and the e is to, I don't know what it stands for, but it's it's for um, special escape. Escape characters, that's probably what it is. Escape characters, yes. So I've got a, back, a, a backslash B, which is a backspace character. So it's going to backspace, okay? So it's going to backspace, it's going to print, and I've got dollar sign, brace, spinner, square bracket, dollar sign N, square bracket, brace. So N, now we know, is 1. So spinner sub 1 is forward slash, and that's what it prints. So it prints, at the very beginning, it prints the space without a new line. It backspaces over that space, which is why I had to put it at the beginning. Backspaces over that space, and then it prints forward slash. Um, I commented out the sleep because otherwise it's very slow, choppy sort of thing. Uh, and I just tried it one way or the other. Um, so sleep will just sleep for one second. That's what sleep does. And then it comes back and goes back to the beginning and tests if the command part is, is true. 
true is going to return true, so it's going to go back. It's going to increment n by 1, make it uh, n equal to 2. Modulus of 4 is 2. Suspender 2 is going to be uh, vertical line. Does that make sense? Then it's going to go, you're going to do it for 3, backslash. Then it's going to go through 4. Now here's where modulus comes in. 4 modulus 4 is 0, right? And then we get spinner 0, which is the, the, the dash. Okay. <laughs> Why should you do the modulus instead of saying if n is greater than 3 and equals 0? You could have done it that way. You could have done it that way. Um, I felt like it. You're <laughs> modulus, right? I wanted to show what modulus was. Right. Exactly. There's the man. <laughs> yes, I wanted to show what modulus was. Um, but yeah, so it's just going to go 0 through 3, 0 through 3, 0 through 3, 0 through 3, and uh, since I've got no way of exiting, I had to control C to interrupt the program to kill it. Any questions on this program? Good. You, you can give sleep fractional values, can't you? Um, with the GNU sleep, you can, yes. Um, if, you, if you use uh, another sleep, I think by tradition it's, it's always been whole seconds. Uh, I may be mistaken on that. And there's also a U-sleep, which does microseconds. Come on in, which is somewhere else. Hey, come on in. Is there a reason why you did pound new colon while? That's a comment, right? Yeah, that was a comment to me to remind me to tell you this is new. While is new. Uh, Introducing new. <laughs> or while. <laughs> so you'll see that. Arrays are brand new this month. Uh, that's, right. that's just for me. <coughs> okay, now we've got uh, our while menu program. So, let me run it first so that everybody knows what I'm talking about. And here we go. Alright, so it says, number one, check email. Number two, surf the web. Number three, edit file. Number four, spreadsheet. Number five, exit. So I'm going to say, I want to surf the web. Hey, it launched Firefox. Okay, uh, now I want to do my check my email. Hey, it launched Mutt. Let's do number four. Hey, open office. All right, that's cool. Number three, open office again. Hot dog. Number five, exit. Great, fantastic. Okay. Pretty typical menu sort of thing. You want to give this to first time users. How do I edit a file? Well, let's put it in open office. All right, so what I did... In bash, create a function, a bash function, called it menu. Paren paren at the end of menu means that it's a function. Put a brace, or yeah, put braces in a block, and I'm just going to echo the choices that I put up on the screen. So now I run the function that I just created called menu. It's going to execute that, print this out, and then it's going to go right to here. While read dash p. Enter an option colon bracket one dash five bracket space quote and then a. So what this does is while has the argument of the read part. So the read program is what I'm running right now. Uh, before I do my do, um, you remember from a couple months ago or last month I don't remember which. What read does is it is it captures stuff from from the prompt, so you type stuff in, basically. And uh, if you give it a dash P option, that's the prompt that will be prompted to the user. So enter an option one through five space, and then A, in this case, is the variable that I 
and putting what I respond to in. So whenever I type one, it puts it in the variable A. Right. Wait, 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 wait. Sir? Sorry, is A, is read putting that into A or is while putting that into A? Read is putting that into A because while just expects a command or a series of commands or a compound command or something, right? Like a list of commands or something like that. So, read's putting it into A. Um, so what you see here from before, I got that. Menu prints me this, one through five, you know, that sort of thing. And then I got the while and read, enter an option there, printed it right there. And then I typed five. So five get, is now put into the, the variable A, right? Now it does the do, since read returns true, uh, because I actually typed something in, it's going to do the do while, the do done loop, which is this big outer loop, okay? I just echoed a, a new line, and then here we've got a new compound statement, the case. Case is similar to uh, C program like C like programs switch statement, if you're familiar with that. Um, so what case is, it, it, you, the form of case is case um, dollar, uh, variable I apologize for my handwriting. All right, so case variable. Doesn't have to be a variable, but uh, you're probably going to want a variable. You could put a constant there, but what would be the point in having it? Um, in um, a list of things, and then, uh, what's the word is it? I can never remember this. And then uh, something, uh, right for in um, statements until you get a semicolon, semicolon. Then you can have another whatever right paren, more statements, semicolon, semicolon, and then that'll be, let's see, no wait, case needs a, yeah, that's it, that's right. And then it keeps going, you can have as many um, whatever's right paren until you have an ESAC, which is case spelled backwards, going back to if, v, case, ESAC, all right? So, so this is the block, all right? So that's just the form of it. Now, the way case works is it inspects what the variable is. Oh, let me let me say another. No, 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 no. Okay, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. The end part. These are the end parts. Um, after end is where you put the what they uh, what you're wanting to test for, uh, and then you put. So I'm very eloquent tonight, as you can tell. Um, I don't know why that is, but uh, so checks the variable. Um, yeah, no, okay. So in this case, uh, case dollar sign a, it'll check the variable a for whatever's in it, and whatever it finds it to be, whatever it answers to be, it'll jump to that uh, right side paren statement. Okay, does that make sense, to everybody? So whenever I type uh, uh, one for check email, it goes to this line right here. One. Right, correct. It'll echo mutt. So you saw whenever I did the check email, it typed the word mutt on the screen. It didn't actually execute it, but it, you know, told me what it was going to do. Because if I actually did it, then it, this would be a much longer presentation. Um, and when I typed uh, the number two to surf the web, it went here, and you see 
um, I've got two vertical line FF. Now what does that mean? So this, this next option right here can take either a two or an FF as my answer to enter an option. So whenever I run this program again, I could uh, type FF and it runs Firefox. If I, if I type uh, two, it runs Firefox, right? So it did, in, in, both, in both cases, A resulted to be, in the first case, A resulted to be FF, so it jumped right here. In the next case, it resulted to be two, so it did the same thing, to the same place. So you can have multiple um, values for a certain little sub-block, okay? Uh, then I've also got one. If I, if I were to type the word one instead of the number one, it would do a different um, email program, my, my Gmail, let's say, for example. So uh, if I type the word one, uh, Gmail comes up. So when I type the numeral one, it ran MUT. When I type the word one, it ran Gmail. So that's a hidden option because I didn't print it out, right? Excuse me. All right. So I need it back on the screen for me. Okay. Now I've got one. I've explained what two and FF are. <coughs> um, you see, you, uh, you probably good form would say you want to have them quoted. Um, and, and here again, it's a string match. It's not a numeral match. It's a string match. So it's matching the string three, or it's matching the string character four. The string that's not interpreted for. If I were to type a V, um, it would have um, executed or printed out the word Vim because that's my editor. And uh, you know, for a first-time user, I'm going to tell them to use OpenOffice. For me, I'm going to use Vim. Um, then I've also got. Uh, okay, so let me do the next option here. And you know, I didn't indent it right, but that's because my editor at work. It uh, replaces tab characters with with uh, four spaces. So I tabbed out and, and got the spaces instead of tab characters like the first time I edited it for some reason. So anyway, so right here I've got some, some strangeness here. This is using the, the normal um, wildcard blobbing. I'm going to call it both because some people know one way. Some people know it as blobbing. Some people know it as wildcarding. It's technically blobbing, but it's wildcarding. Um, does anyone not know what wildcarding or globbing is at the, on the command line? What is globbing? Globbing is what it used to be called. Now it's still called. It's just the name of it. It's a glob. Um, so it's going to do J star or J star, capital J star, or star rock star, or four question marks. So if at the command line I type, you know, Jace Rocks. Hey, yes, Jace Rocks. But anyway, so I did what this little sub block whenever I typed Jace Rocks because it matched J star. Right? It will also match the capital J. Uh, whatever. Yes, Jace Rocks. But anyway, okay, so that's what that one said. Then uh, let's say um, Mozilla Rocks Hard. Yes, Jace rocks. But anyway, so that's the response that I get, and that's because of the glob. I got star rocks star. Okay. Does this 
making sense to everybody? So you jump to here because whenever I typed in Mozilla rocks hard, that matches the star rocks star. That's uh, so that's in in globbing and wildcarding. Um, the star is any number of characters of any sort. The um, now if I do four just four random characters, that's what matches the question mark. Question mark means one character. So I've got four uh, question marks up there. That's where this matches. This uh, H J K L matches four question marks, right? So any four-letter word <laughs> would match. Say Jay's rocks. But anyway. So, all right, and then the last option, next to the last option I've got, well, I'll go to the last option because you probably, from good form, you're going to want to have your default. Go ahead. Is there any character that either the star or the question mark doesn't match? In, in this particular case, no, because it's going to put the whole thing into A as a string in single or double quotes, however you want to think about it. It's, it's the whole string of something. So in, in that case, it's going to match spaces. It's going to match new lines. It's going to match, well, it won't match new lines because read. It puts it into A at the new line, the character return. So, but if I put some sort of strange option that doesn't exist up there, um, I think it's with a J. It starts with a J. <laughs> yeah, okay, there we go, dry, dry. How about that? D, R, I, oh, that's cool. Okay, so I just, anyway, um, dry, dry matches star, which is anything, right? Star is anything. It's, it's similar in concept to the C like programming language's uh, default for the switch state. So at a good form says that at the very end of your uh, case statement, you're gonna you want to have a default because if someone types the wrong thing, you want it to do something. Whether it's report an error, no, that's not right, and you know runs the menu again, or whatever. So um, in my case, I'm just gonna exit, and exit kills the program altogether. So it comes, jumps out of editing this. Now here I've got a single quoted star. Right? And what that'll do is it'll echo the word exit. So if I run this program again and I type the character star, it's going to go to that case. Alright? Is that, is that too complex? Does that make sense? Which is different than whatever. Okay? Just something to be aware of. You're not going to see it in most places, but just be aware of it. Alright? Any questions on this program? Everybody understand? Uh, um, case now? I don't want that. Anybody have any questions? Cricket, cricket, cricket. Okay. Oh, so at the end of uh, the end of the case statement, then I do a, a new line and then I rerun the menu, go back to the, the read prompt, and then check. So, right? Does that make sense? The loop, the outer loop. Okay, so I did the same thing, or similar thing, with menu two, while menu two. I've got these six options, MUT, Gmail, Firefox, OpenOffice, Vim, and Exit. So if I type that a number to the corresponding program, three for Firefox, let's say, it's executing Firefox, right? And then let's say MUT, number one, Gmail for number two, whatever, and for Vim, 
oh, I'll need to do a spreadsheet and open office. Okay, so that's that's enough of that. Let's uh, exit. Okay. So this is a similar idea um, to the um, the menu program I just did, but a little different. So what I did here was use the select compound statement. So I've got here. Um, I'm going ahead myself. Similar program using select. Okay. So PS3. I'll explain that in a second. All right. So, but this time instead of using a while true, I decided to use the until compound statement. Until is the almost exactly the same as while, with the exception that it's um, backwards. So until will keep running until the. So the form of until is until commands do done, do block done, right? Until is waiting for the the, neg the return value to be zero before it goes to quits. That doesn't make sense. Okay, so while this is true, do blah, 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 blah. Uh, on the converse, until this is true, blah, 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 blah. Okay? So whereas I would have written this with a while true, this time I did it until not true. I could have said until false, but the exclamation point, that's why I did this, exclamation point uh, on the command line before a command indicates not of that, the opposite. It returns any, uh, any exit value that is zero gets returned as one. Any non-zero return value gets become, becomes zero when you put the exclamation point in front of it, i.e. not. Any questions on that? No? Okay, so I've got an until loop, and here's my do done block. So I've got the select program. Here's uh, here's the other compound statement that we're talking about tonight. Select and a variable in a list do block done. Okay? Pretty simple. And you can use this variable inside here. You want to be sure you use the dollar sign variable. This, you don't want to have the dollar sign in front of it. Um, if you exclude the in list, it assumes dollar sign one, dollar sign two, dollar sign three, blah, 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 blah. The command arguments that you gave to that program. Does that make sense? Or that function? Any questions on that? Okay. So, so what select will do, as you saw, I've got a list of, so in my program I've got select progy, or proggy, my program name. There's some variable called proggy. In, and then I've got a list. Mutt, Gmail, Firefox, open office, vim, exit. Just a list of words. Just a space, a limited set of words. And then, uh, so what select does, as you remember up here, is it formatted it really nicely and said that the first item, number one paren, is that. So in this case, one paren month. Then it went down, and then second one, two paren Gmail, three paren Firefox, four paren Open Office, five then six exit. Right? Right? Does that make sense? It select just does that for you. It's just beautiful. Now when you type in a number, okay, here's the here's the reason I've got the PS3. Um, on the shell, you've got your um, PS stands for prompt. 
Help me out, somebody, anybody. CPS, I don't know what PS stands for, but it's your prompts. Your PS1, huh? PlayStation 3. Prompt sign. Prompt sign. I think that's what it is, prompt sign. Yes. yes. You can think of it as prompt sign, even if it's not. So, so right here you see my prompt. Before I did my cat and before I ran the program earlier, I've got user1 at susatop colon friend slash or tilde slash frywild uh, greater than space. That is my prompt on my computer. So PS1 is defined to be user, which is, uh, I think back Anyway, it's user at hostname colon directory greater than space. That's my prompt. I'll show you that. If I echo, I'll send PS1. No, not that one. PS1. You see here I've got um, backslash u, username, which is user1 at dash backslash h, hostname, colon, backslash u, um, is that right? U? Uh, w. W, or working directory, I think, greater than space. That's just, PS1 is your prompt at the command line. You've got PS2, which will prompt you uh, for continuation. So if, you, if I did an echo, quote, something, no, no, let's see. Anyways, for continuation. And then PS3 is another one. Um, PS3 is used specifically by select. So this is the prompt that select will give you. So you saw up here whenever I typed in, or whenever I ran the program, select formatted this mud Gmail Firefox, open all those bin exit into this nice little one, two, three, four, five, six, and then type in a number, colon space, was PS3. All right, does that make sense there, bud? Just one of the things you have to set up before you use select is you have to set PS3. And of course, if you do done left loop, you can change it however you want to. Select will also, um, if you don't give it one of the option sets there, um, it will, like if I, if I just hit enter, it's going to say, it'll re-display it until you type something in that it likes. So I type a nine. Um, then um, nothing got assigned. So the ninth item, which doesn't exist, yeah, I've only got six. The ninth item, which is over here somewhere, got put into Froggy, and then that Froggy part. This is where I probably would have used a case like that. But uh, this time I decided to choose to use the, the true, uh, the, the test program, and test for Froggy. If test pro if um, Froggy is the word exit. Um, the next, and then I'm going to execute. If otherwise, because exit will kill the program. Otherwise, it's going to echo uh, executing, and then what the value of prog you done or not. I could have uh, run the actual program. Now you need a break after whatever, because otherwise, select will just keep spinning and just you know, prompt the person for type one of these. Numbers. Even if you type in the right number, yeah, the one that you want, it's just going to keep asking. Until you break out of the select. Okay, select makes sense, there, everybody. <sighs> What's up? Can I talk now? Um, all right, you got more? No. <laughs> well, we started late. All right, I'll sit back down. Um, and uh, this is the final bash shell scripting, so it's going to run a little over anyway. Okay. Do you want to go ahead and give announcements now or something? Um. 
No, I'll wait till you're done. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I just got one more. Anyway. I got a question on this last one. Go ahead. If select creates a loop, why do you have an until loop around it? Um, these, when I say select as a loop, I mean it's it's uh, it is until it. Uh, let's see. It will re-ask until you give it an, an answer that it can understand. Okay. Um, so if I type JK, well, I don't know. I, I, I've only used select just a little bit, but whenever I ran this program before and I just had to select, it wasn't working. It wasn't looping. It wasn't going back and asking. That's what it is. It asked one time. It, 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 in order for it to ask again and prompt you, it will prompt you until you give it uh, the right answer or something like that. But um, in order for me to run this program over and over and over and over again, I had to have the outer while loop. So if you have a select, it'll just put the menu up and, and do it. All right? And that's where I would have used a, maybe used a case or something like that and run the program. And then continue on down the program or whatever. So I'm just, I'm wanting to do this over and over again. Infinitely. Is that to make more sense? Oh, and there, that's another thing I meant to tell you. Um, select it. Um, it's different from the uh, the other program in that um, instead of putting into um, into this variable what I typed in, it types it puts into this variable what is what is in this list. So when I typed in two, it put it, it put the string Gmail into Proggy, right? It didn't put a two in Proggy, it put the string that it two represents, right? All right, so that's that's another major difference you need to understand about that. So if I do my case statements, I want to put cases around MUT Gmail Firefox, not one, two, three, four, uh, like I did before. All right. So now what's the last one? Read stats. Okay. Uh, see, should, I, should I run the program first? All right. So here I've got a little file called stats, and it's just uh, just a file I created with some random numbers, number space number, number space number, number space number, just like that. Some some sort of statistics that I've got whenever I you know whatever. Um, so when I run the while stats for read stats for read stats while read stats program, here's my output. It takes the first number, prints it, puts it X, second number, and then does product number two. So these are the products. Two times 78 is 156. Two times 98,000 is 196,000. So that's my products. Then I've got my remainders. 23 mod 878, which is that one. 23 mod 878, 23. Uh, 243 mod 3 is 0. So that's this one, all right? Um, then we've got this error right here. But I'll explain that later. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? All right, so. In this program, I've got um, two while loops. Um, 
to show you this program is that um, you will you'll see a lot of this um, this sort of thing. Um, what I'm doing first of all is I've got the I showed you the stats file, right? I'm redirecting stats, not redirecting, redirecting the stats program into the sort program, sort it numerically, which is what the dash in does. So it sorts this file numerically. So all the ones will be first, the twos will be second, the threes will be third, the 23s, then the 243s, and the 40s. Right? Does that make sense? That's numerically. Otherwise, if I, if I didn't give it the dash in, it would do it alphanumerically by character. So you would see 2, 20, and then we go to 3, 30, 40, that sort of thing. So I do a sort of stats and pipe it into the while read AB. So read takes A and B as its variables. So what it's going to do is it's going to take the sorted stat list, and the first um, stat is put into A, the second is put into B, right? Then I've got this do done loop. Echo dollar sign A, X dollar sign B equals dollar sign square bracket A star B. So it's doing the multiplication substitution. A times B is the product of A and B. It prints out 2 times 1 equals 2, for example. And then it keeps looping until read returns false which is at the end of the file. So as long as there's standard input being put into read, it's going to continue. It's going to read it, print, print out something. So you see up here, I've got the product 2 times 1 equals 2, 2 times 7. Right, does that make sense to everybody? Pretty simple, right? Then I've got uh, my remainders. Um, so I'm redirecting. This time I'm redirecting directly into read. While read C and D do, Echo dash and C mod uh, the word mod dash and D equals and then I got the dash and square bracket again C percent D which is the modulus operation C modulus uh, D so right here we've got and this time I'm not I'm, and then I've got the done the less than and then stats so this time you've got stats being redirected into done which really gets redirected into the do while. So it gets sort of put to read, right? So read, so the stats file gets opened up, sent as the standard in to the read program, and then each each one gets A and you know, gets put into C and D. Does that make sense? Any questions on any of that? No? And then you see right here division by zero error. Well, that makes sense. Somewhere in here I've got a zero error. 342 mods zero doesn't make sense because you've got to divide by zero. You get infinity, you've got a black hole. Right? So, so that's where it chokes, and the program just dies right on this line and doesn't process the rest of it. Something you need to be aware of. I would get the same thing if I would have done instead of a modulus of uh, divide by uh, forward slash. Any questions on anything? This is the final bash shell scripting session. Any questions? Is there a way to do like error handling or something like the mod zero? Yeah, what I would want to do ahead of time is to check if B is, is zero. Yeah. Um, actually, I would probably just do dollar sign B, ampersand, ampersand. Right? No? No, I'd do it. I, I, huh? 
I would do an if um, if uh, test zero equals D or the other way around if you want to, uh, then do the echo part. Uh, when you say else, error handling, else you can't divide by zero. When you say error handling, are you saying handle something when an error does occur or catching an error before it occurs? I guess it's two ways of thinking about it. Because if you want to if you want to catch the error after it occurs, uh, you could just test on uh, dollar question and that'll give you the return code of the last thing executed. What? Dollar question mark will give you the return code of the last statement executed. That was another thing I wanted to point out. Yes, thank you for saying that because um, if I run this program again. Um, and then I echo, see I got a divide by zero error. If I do an echo of uh, dollar sign question mark one, which means false, right? So the return value of my last program was false. And that's because I got a divide by zero error. Um, now, if I run this again, I get a zero. Anybody know why? Because echo. Because echo correctly. was good. It really did work, you know, echo return five. So the dollar sign question mark is the return value of the last thing that happened. Now, if you've got a block, you've got whatever, it's going to be the last block. So if I were to check dollar sign zero, it's the result of the read. If I did a dollar sign right up here before the done, it would have been the, the, the return value of echo. Or, yeah, which would have been the, the one. Then it gets passed up to the, the calling function and to the calling program, and uh, that's where it is. Okay, does that make sense? No more shell scripting for newbies. Shell right. scripting for intermediate users now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm done for a little bit. All right, there are a number of faces I don't recognize. How about we go around the room? and introduce ourselves. I'll start. My name is David Dally. Um, I'm the person who kicks the speakers off and interrupts them. <laughs> and uh, I have a couple other announcements, but we'll move on to Jerry. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I'm done. Go How ahead. You? Introduce Thanks. yourself. Uh, oh, you're talking about introductions, not yeah. presentations. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Jared Sutton. I'm a um, network engineer at the Worthwhile Company. I do web hosting and design. All right, David Yates. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. My name David what? Yates. You might know him from the Lot of Linux Links podcast. Or not. I don't know. He's got a lot of listeners. What's your real job, Dave? Uh, I'm a uh, vitamin formulator. A real job, though, Jay? Yes. Yeah, I formulate vitamins. Awesome. He does a podcast, guy. <laughs> He's got, I think the last one that I heard figures on was 6,000 people listening. Close. To me, that's very impressive. Awesome. What, what's more impressive is that he lives like five miles from my house, and I didn't realize it until about three or four months ago. Anyway, go ahead, John. We'll quit picking on Dave for a minute. Hi, I'm John Yeary. <laughs> I work for Agfa Healthcare. Uh, I'm the uh, senior enterprise architect there. I design um, uh, internal business systems, uh, primarily in Java, and I'm the president of the local Java users group. 
Yes, sir. Uh, I'm Clyde Peterson, and I um, write code for a small software company. Jeremy. Um, Jeremy Sands, I'm director of IT operations at Play Group for downtown Spartanburg, CS Senior USC State, uh, co host the Sourcecast podcast, and I'm the director of Austin. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I wondered when that was. You're the one. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Wes Yates, um, Engineer in the sales department <laughs> with Brereton uh, Anyone uh, ever wants to know about Kenny over at the IDN? Uh, Bob Brereton, I'm basically the IT department at a law firm. I'm Carl Gerheiser, long-time lurker. I actually used to work in this building with the Digital Equipment Corporation. Really? And uh, this is my hobby. Because that makes me the oddest up here. We're pushing off the software, but that's production. I'm consultant. Richard Pine, Parts and Service Division, doing this, learning it. Brenda Vine, Grandmother, Adnan <laughs> Kathy. Well, I'm, I'm wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> Stirrer of trouble. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being good tonight. <laughs> tonight, John. Uh, my name's Mike Major. I work uh, at Bosch and Anderson. I'm an engineer down there, kind of a manufacturing engineer type. Um, just do Linux for fun of it because it's cool. My name's Alfred Signs. I'm the Solaris admin and customer support type person. Uh, Kevin Jones, uh, voice data analyst, etc. Data, Linux hobbyist. Great team. I currently unemployed at the moment. I used to work at the uh, airport for a major airline, or sort of restructuring. And I've been uh, used to be in Windows for quite a long time, and now I'm starting to learn Linux. So it's, uh, I'm seeing it more and more product cropping up with some of the equipment I'm buying. Okay. 
And, and I'm Jace. I'm Jace Eckert. I did the Bash shell scripting thing. I'm a Linux programmer at Condry Corporation. Uh, we are the guys that actually write Novell Storage Manager. Novell resells our stuff. Um, What's your name again, Jace? Jace. What does everyone call you? Call me Jace. Um, Sometimes it gets a laugh, actually. <laughs> it, does. it gets a laugh when you actually do it, and we don't have to Okay. Hi, my name is Jace. I go by Jace. Is that short for something? It's short for just something. <laughs> just yeah, another just something. something. <laughs> <laughs> what? A GLA. <laughs> All right. I've got a couple of announcements. We're going to cut Jared loose. A um, couple of things happened. Jared, you didn't know you were employee, did you? I'm sorry. Um, What's your name? My name is David Nowen. I'm the person who interrupts people. Um, Southeast Linux Fest. We have a date, which we didn't have last month. We have a venue, which we didn't have last month. And we have a board, which we didn't have last month. And there's a ton of work to do. If anybody wants to do work, if anybody wants to be the secretary, um, sorry, you're that position permanently could be open. Founded. Um, <laughs> but we meet Tuesday nights, 9 o'clock, in Ash Southeast Linux Fest on irc.freenode.net. If you need help getting on to uh, IRC, Someone around here can help you. Um, the date is June 13th, and it's going to be at Clemson. And we're going to need lots and lots of help, particularly from people in the upstate who live near here. Um, in the form of nine. We're going to need people who can um, who can man the registration booth. We're going to need people who can operate a uh, a, uh, people that help vendors who are coming. People that help vendors, uh, show them where they're going, help them move stuff in, um, because we've got a at the moment a very short setup window. Um, we've got a number of things going. I think we approved the event's going to be free, um, with an option that you pay 50 bucks and you'll be declared a supporter of so and we'll give you a t-shirt and we might invite you to a party. If you're cool enough? It, yeah, yeah, there is some minimum requirement there. Um, we we got to pay $50, and, that's, and that's, uh, that's cool with us by us. Um, and we may have some lug incentive here, which essentially says that if you'll help us, we might incentivize that. But that has not yet been decided on, so that's my thought and not the board's. Go ahead. <coughs> um, we are talking to Clemson about sponsoring some costs for us. Clemson's log is actually sponsoring the location, and they're eating about $2,000 of costs that we would have otherwise paid. And anywhere else, it would have cost us um, four or 6000 bucks just to get the venue. So for our first year, we're going to... Uh, Put up with something that's probably not ideal from an exposition standpoint, but is a can handle a good number of people. 
Um, before I get into the website, Software Freedom Day, September 20th. Kevin's running that. I handed off some swag to him. Uh, that's going to be at the library. So come help some people install Linux, get used to Linux. Is that the downtown? That, that is the downtown one yeah. we were at last year? Downtown library. It is the downtown library. And so anyone who's listening to Dave Yates' podcast, that's near Greenville, September 20th. I believe you're starting at 10 o'clock? Yeah, 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. Till 3 p.m. If you want news, what's your email address? FreeLinuxPC at gmail.com. And so you just heard his email address, and I'm sure that uh, Dave Yates will put something in his show notes to, to uh, point to the poster. Do we have show notes? There are show notes every episode. Is there? Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Put the scripts in there. Yeah. Jeremy, can we put some directions to this place on the website whenever you're on our website? Let, let's not get on the website yet, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> Charleston uh, is having a um, Linux demonstration day, a free software demonstration day, September the 14th at the Muddy Waters Coffee Shop. That is. Um, I think it's 10 to 4 or something like that. I may be wrong about the times. You can see it at csclug.org. So if you're in the Charleston area, you should go to that. And a couple of us are going to go down and uh, try and bid their ears. Um, the website. Medion gave us a virtual machine on their VMware cluster. And we're thankful. And they're giving it to us gratis. Um, Technically, I'm on the hook for the site, so um, I'm happy to grant pseudo access given the following requirements being met. That you provide me with a mobile phone number that I can send text messages to because you'll be on Nagios alerts if you have pseudo access. Um, an email address. That you convince me that you're at least somewhat competent to operate Linux. <laughs> Or that you can fool me. If you can fool me, that works too. I am it. And um, firstborn child. Don't care about firstborn children. I don't want any children. They're a lot of responsibility. Um, my wife would complain at having another child. Let's put it that way. You don't want. You don't want more children. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's different. <laughs> I, I am the child right now, and I don't need competition. <laughs> Um, so anyway, the media is going to do it, and whoever picks up and runs with whatever they want can uh, can do whatever they want uh, as far as platform, database, etc. Um, but we need to make a mention that the media gave it to us and probably provide a link. And did I say that you got to uh, be willing to accept my text messages and emails from Nagios? Yes. And the website goes down. So those are the only requirements. That's pretty easy to pull off. And so what we're going to do now is if you want to have uh, pseudo access, go ahead. Don't we have a new address too? It's not UCLug.org anymore. Uh, it will be. 
hopefully tonight. Uh, um, to give you a brief history, our website went down a couple months ago. Bob used to work at a service provider um, and consulting place, and the box went down, and I don't know the details of it, but having something that only one person can get to is uh, a bad idea. So we're going to try and eliminate some of that single point of failure by having multiple people who essentially have root level access and then making them responsible so that they start getting the at 3 o'clock in the morning. And they've got dual or triple redundant feeds here. So we should have a bandwidth or um, connection issue here. Um, so if you want that level of responsibility, you can come see me and I'll get you that level of access. And we're gonna let Jared talk and hopefully we can hack out at least the beginnings of a site by the time the meeting's over or nine o'clock, whichever comes first. And after Jared's done, I'll tell you the two minute way to set up a kiosk with SE Lens. All right, uh, as I said before, my name is Jared Sutton. I work for the Worthwhile Company. Um, there was some discussion on the list uh, this past week about what exactly a kiosk is. And um, at least from my standpoint, there's, there's multiple definitions, and it really depends on whether you're talking about an interactive kiosk or, or just something that displays information. And um, uh, I've, I've worked with both uh, at different jobs and things that I was doing. And uh, this past week, um, my boss asked me to design a, a kiosk type setup that uh, basically just displays a presentation in our lobby area uh, on a big LCD screen. And uh, so I, I decided to go with a, a thin install just on a really compact uh, shuttle machine uh, that we built for pretty cheap. And um, I, I really decided there was no use spending, you know, however much, 40, 50 bucks on a hard drive when we've got a VM server with plenty of disk space. And it would be really cool if you could just boot right over the network uh, into a into some OS that's stored somewhere else on the network. And so I started searching around, and at first I was thinking just do a plain pixie boot with uh, NFS, uh, which I had done with something else before. Um, and then I came across this project called gpixie, and I'm not sure if you guys are aware of what pixie is. Um, basically it's just a, uh, a boot ROM that uh, you can you're, you're basically uh, grabbing information from your DHCP server and using that information to bootstrap something on your machine. And uh, Pixie is very limited by itself. I, I believe it was written by Intel originally. I could be wrong on that, but uh, I see their name all over, copyrights all over it. So, um, But it's very limited as to what it can do. Uh, it can basically grab something from a TFTP server and show it into memory. That's about all that I know of that it can do. Um, the great thing about it is that gpixie uh, is basically something that you can bootstrap from pixie. And so you can shove it on a TV, shove your uh, gpixie image onto a TFTP server. And then that gives you a more expanded set of options as to what you can boot off of your network. And it can connect to HTTP, FTP, uh, TFTP, uh, and the, the big ones here that I'm focused on are, are ATA over Ethernet, AOE, and iSCSI. 
and iSCSI is the thing I'm really using. Uh, I experimented a little with AOE, but it was just it was some, not something I really uh, to get my my head around. Uh, but really, uh, iSCSI. Any of you that enter, are into server administration might be aware of iSCSI, and it basically presents um, some disk. It could be either a, a disk image uh, or a physical disk or a partition or whatever you want. Uh, it presents that as um, as a SCSI device to the, the machine that's connecting to the iSCSI server, and so you can you can connect to the iSCSI server and say, I want to use that disk. And all of a sudden, on your Linux box or Windows box, if you want to use Windows, um, it shows up as another SCSI device in your system. It's pretty transparent to to the um, to the user land. And so you can run app disk and you can you know repartition the disk or do whatever you want. It really looks like a physical disk. And what gpixie allows you to do, you're bootstrapping from Pixie into gpixie, and then you can you can connect to an iSCSI server using gpixie and boot right off of it. So what I did here was I set up um, on our physical network at work, I set up a um, our, our, you know, our DHCP server. Uh, we're using DNS mask. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's a combination uh, DHCP, uh, DNS, and TFTP server. And I set that up to basically just hand out the information for bootstrapping the, the gpixie ROM image uh, to the clients. And so it boots gpixie. And it also passes uh, a little parameter telling it where to find the iSCSI disk that it's going to boot. And um, if you give me just one second here, I can pull up that config file. DHCP and DNS and TFTP side. That's all DNS mask. It's pretty small. You can run it on your little WRT router if you really want to. All right. And as far as iSCSI is concerned, uh, let me pull that up real quick. 
there's only two lines here to the to the ISCS configuration. You just define your target name. They have some weird conventions as to what you're supposed to call the ISCSI targets, and I pulled something and modified it as a how-to. I really don't think it really matters. You can name it anything you want, um, but just for the sake of saving face, I, I named it something that looks somewhat cryptic and official. <laughs> but um, you can basically specify your target name and then tell it here, uh, this is just a plain old uh, uh, you know, virtual disk that I attached to the VM. And I'm telling it, it it's just going to access it like a regular block device and pass it right over the network. And that's all there is to the ISCS configuration. Uh, on that image now, I end up, uh, I mount it on my system and I use dev bootstrap to do a basic um, Ubuntu Hardy install. On the uh, on the disk image, and then installed Grub and all sorts of wonderful things to make it bootable. All right, and that's all there was to that. And then the last thing was simply, um, you know, I've created another VM that has you know no disks at all attached to it, and all it has is the first boot device is the network interface that I have, and it's pointing. You, you, as you can see here, you picked up the um, here, let me reset that real quick, just so you can see. As you can see, it's grabbing an IP address from the DHCP server right here. And it's trying to grab an IP address from the DHCP server. You can do it. All right, we're just going to try powering off real quick on this and turn it back on. There we go. And as you can see, it loaded GPixie right here. And, and it loaded the ISCSI target, and it's booting for up right now. And at this point, it's basically grabbing a, uh, the, the initial RAM disk. It's accessing it just like it was a local hard disk. And um, there was just a little bit of uh, finagling with, um, with having the kernel um, load the I the, the kernel has to load the iSCSI driver too so that it can actually see the disk. And so, so did you have to recompile your kernel? Or? No. The only thing I had to do was uh, modify a few files with the init RAMFS configuration and then, and then regenerate my initial RAM disk. And uh, there's actually some how-tos out there on that. Um, now, this is actually the same image that I'm using at my workplace. I just you know, DD to copy off of it. And uh, it runs a little promotional video that one of our marketing people made up. And uh, yeah, that's Cody Webster, our mascot. <coughs> so anyway, um, so that's just about all there is to it. And I know that really was a lot of steps, but it's actually not that hard. I think I set this up in about uh, an hour and a half, and most of that was fighting with VirtualBox's uh, internal networking that tends to not work and sometimes work other times. But as far as getting it to work on the physical network, it worked almost instantaneously once I understood the concepts. And uh, there were some changes that I had. I had to hack out some of the scripts that you had to throw into the initial RAM disk to make it work right. Uh, and the scripts that they had on one of the how-tos I was following was completely up and I had to I had to hack them together myself so I'm probably gonna just go ahead and write another how-to and post it out there um, just for anyone else that happens to want to do the same thing 
And really, the point is that um, you can have a, you know, with, with enough, you know, existing network infrastructure, you can have a thin client installation out there uh, with just some disk image on a server somewhere running Open iSCSI, which is free, and uh, you can have a motherboard, CPU, and probably just integrated integrated video on the motherboard. That's all our box has, just an Intel chipset. And uh, you can have a thin client installed right there that you just plug in and go. No hard drive, no optical drive, nothing. And that's all I got.
base operating system. You can have a console uh, kiosk set up with single command. And that's it. And that made it very easy on me. Right, so what, what is it, how do you determine what is not, uh, uh, what programs they can and cannot use? Uh, you would use uh, security labels. So you would allow um, people with XGIS to, um, to execute things like Firefox, but not allow them to execute other things. Is that an SE Linux thing? Yeah. File labels. It's what? File labels. File labels. Yeah. Or it's also called contexts. Um, and uh, now you would probably also want to boot the, uh, I mean, you probably also want to figure what menus they see. But they're seeing essentially what's ever in uh, Etsy Skeleton. So however you can figure that's what they're going to see each time it loads. What's the command? So it creates, it creates a new guest user? No. Yes, it does create a new guest user. But the guest user can only log in via two Yum install XGuest. Anything else I can answer? This I, is, let me make sure I'm understanding. This is targeted towards using thin clients. Uh, no, this isn't towards using thin clients. This is, um, for instance, Kevin's working on getting uh, three or four computers set up at the senior center. Okay. They have about 15 people who are going to come in and use them. And essentially, we don't want um, one person seeing what the other person was doing. But we also don't want to create 15 accounts on each machine or have to deal with setting up a uh, LDAP server or anything of that nature because we don't want to maintain that. We want something they can go in, they can use the computer. When they leave, it's just as it, as it was when they came in. Can you set the permissions different for the guest users? Or yes. For what? This guest user can have this permission yes. and this one can't? There is only one guest user because they can log in okay, without a password. Uh, if you really wanted that level of different permissions, you'd probably create a user and then assign it a password. But this is designed to essentially wipe away anything that they do. Uh, and since you can't control who has access to it if they get to the keyboard, there's just not a whole lot of point. In. So this does not use app armor or anything like that? It's purely as It's purely as now it's also mounting a temp file system. They get a like a one gig temp file system that just goes away. Could you use that part? I don't know. I don't know enough about that part. What was that name you used besides context files? Label. Label. It, it's not a. It is well, files have an, files, yeah, files have an additional attribute of context or labeling, and it specifies who can access it and how they can access it. That's not a new feature, but it's always been called that in SC Linux. Um, it has always been called that in SC Linux. Is that a file system level attribute? That's a yes, policy. because there's a chicane which changes contents. Okay. And restore to con, a few other. And if you do, uh, I think it's ls-z, you'll see the context. It's either dash x or dash z. If you have SE Linux turned on. If you want to see this, I set it up on my laptop in about five minutes. Charles? All right, I'll show you. Please. So strange like SE Linux distro. SE Linux is a mandatory access control. Essentially, um, the NSA said that they did not, uh, they were not getting fine-grained enough permissions 
with uh, Unix ACLs. So they um, they developed a layer on top of that called mandatory access controls, which um, in addition to what you have at what you can rewrite or execute, you also have to have a label that says you can do that. Part of the thought is that you know if um, Apache gets compromised, Apache should not be touching other files. So even if you have something running as root, if it's that process, it should never do anything except what's expected of it. Um, Capital Z. I think it's Cap Z, yeah. Guest. And so you get access to my one gig SD card to write stuff to. And so we'll go out here and we'll. Could you send that to me like a partition or can you send it to me a. Well, currently, what, what is that? currently the home directory is stored on a temp file system, which is how uh, XGuest is set up. And but it sees anything that's plugged into the machine. So if I plug USB into it, it would see the USB uh, drive. And right now, there's a one gig SD card. Okay, so the SD card or the one gig is not the, the home directory. Right. No, it just happened to be in the machine and. Just like you would have somebody tell them to write to a, a um, you tell them to write to a um, flash drive or something like that. Would it see a mounted file system? I mean, I'm sorry. Remote, would you say? Would it see a mounted file system? I mean, like a remote share or something if it were mounted? If the user had rights to do that, but I don't think the user does unless it's something like FTP or uh, maybe SFTP. Um, so you can write stuff to Flash or SD or whatever, um, whatever it's going to mount without needing root level permissions. Floppy. I don't know. Do floppies auto mount? Um, so let's come over here and we will create something on the uh, desktop. By the way, I, uh, I'm running an encrypted, fully encrypted disk, so everything takes forever on my uh, tiny little two and a half inch drive. Already encrypted? Well, except for boot. Site boot is not encrypted. But swap and um, everything else is. Where's the uh, key? In my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought maybe you kept it on the SD card or something. No, I uh, I can add like 15 different keys, and I could do that, but um, 
don't. All right, so we saved open office document there. And if we log out, in just by clicking. We'll take your word for it. Well, it'll work and it'll come up just that. It comes up with nothing there except for what's in skeleton profile. And that's not bad for setting up a kiosk in just a few seconds. How do you restrict <clears throat> which applications they have access to? Uh, you would, that's a little more intensive, you'd have to change the, um, you do one of two things, you'd either hide the files from them, which isn't really restricting, uh, by changing what they see in the skeleton profile, or you would, uh, you change the context in SC Linux so that they could not execute this file, or both. Can you show that real quick, or there's a lot involved? Let's see if I can. Desmond console. Um, <laughs> what is terminal? I'm not a big GNOME user, but um, no, actually, right now they have access to anything that a non-privileged user would have access to. Yeah, you come carry your Verizon card around with you. 
then you might as well let network manager manage it for you. Very nice article, at, and you can put this in the show notes, Dave. DanWalsh.LiveJournal.com, site 13376. Um, and let's This section here, I think, is how it's mounting tempfs on XGuess home. Yes. Um, but to answer your question, there are things like um, browser you want them to only run the browser, you can do things like browser confined XGuest, which is a predefined uh, policy for um, uh, where it is SE Linux management. Uh, I can't run SE Linux management, this um, but it will um, it will confine them to doing nothing but the browser. Um, if you want them to do it for sites other than local sites, i.e. running on that particular box, you have to allow them to uh, write data from Firefox, etc. So uh, you can get it narrowed down pretty well. Now these have been predefined. These two booleans within SE Linux have been predefined and uh, make, um, make that a little easier. Uh, if you just want to give them net access and not at an office or something of that nature. Anything else I can answer? All right. Um, it is 8.13. Are we going to Indigo Joe's again? Yes. All right. So we need to be there before 9.